if the interest rate was at 7% and it goes to 5%, it's almost a thousand dollars a month difference. So to an entry level person, that is huge. So I think it goes back to Crystal said is know your numbers, know your budget, and those prices are going to come down. The rates are going to come down. People are doing some creative stuff with financing where it's like you still have to qualify it to six and a half, but they're doing the two, three, one buy down to give you more of a runway. So when rates come down, you can refi out. And I think you're going to find yourself a good opportunity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ready to Scale. My name is Jeanette Robinson, Director of Investor Relations with Blue Lake Capital. And today I have Crystal and Kenny Simpson with me. They are the co-host of Get in the Cashflow Game with K&K podcast, which I think is adorable and a subject I love a lot. In addition to that, Crystal is the founding partner of Pacific Shore Capital since 2009, which specializes in mortgage brokering. Her husband, Kenny, is a real estate investor as well as a mortgage advisor for C2 Financial Corporation. They live together in the beautiful San Diego, California. They have been married for eight years, together for about 14 to 15 years, and they now have two young daughters between the ages of four and two. So, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, wow, that was, that, was, we're busy. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't realize how busy you are until you hear somebody else say it, right? Right. Yep. <laughs> So I'd love to hear some background story on, you know, one, how each of you independently got into essentially real estate and the world of finance. And then I imagine that it must be a really cute story of how the two of you guys came together. So if you don't mind just giving us kind of a quick recap, that would be great. Sure. So I've been doing financing. It's primarily commercial and apartments since 2003. So almost 20 years now. I got into the business initially because my mom was an account rep at WAMU back then. So I asked her, I was begging for her to help me get a job. I just, all I wanted to do was make money. So she eventually trusted that I wouldn't ruin her reputation. And she referred me to one of her brokers, but I worked for him for like four months. I was doing residential. So I knew I wanted to do commercial. So I made that transition about four months into it. I had like $120 in my bank account. I had no idea how I was going to make rent the next month. And I got a loan for $3,000 to get a laptop and I shared a cubicle with a guy who wasn't there very often. So it was a very teeny tiny space. And I just started doing loans. Like I would tell everybody, like they tell you when you get in the business, tell everybody, you know, met a guy at the gym. He owned some real estate and I did my first 
commercial loan through him. In fact, the banker, I will never forget Bob Reck at North Island Federal Credit Union because he walked me through how to do a loan from A to Z. I literally had no idea what I was doing. So it kind of just spiraled from there. His partners started using me, their partners, partners, that sort of thing. And and honestly, in 2003, it was kind of a good time in the market. The market was kind of on the upswing at that point. So yeah, that's been what I've been doing. I moved to San Francisco for a short period of time. I thought working for a bank would be really cool. And then I found out that it wasn't. So (laughs) (laughs) anyways, I lived in San Francisco for three years and did commercial financing for WAMU too, before moving back and then just kind of picking up where I left off. And that's around the time I met Kenny. My mom introduced us. So this is an arranged marriage. (laughs) 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 From there, I'll let you take it because there's a whole history for the last oh, you're getting me all okay. So <laughs> I was close to Crystal about 19 years. Started off as a loan processor, quickly became an LO, and kind of honestly in the one to four unit space doing loans. Obviously, I got in in 2004. Then the whole thing blew up in 2008, and then kind of transitioned to different companies until where I kind of landed today. But so if you go backwards and to when we met Crystal. That's when we actually met right when literally the market was changing and the end of 2008-9. So everything was falling off a cliff and falling apart and doom and gloom. So we kind of just hit the reset button. We didn't even know if we're going to stay in lending. We did. And then from there, we started to, you know, we moved, we got an office, we started buying properties. And then somebody had a great idea and said, hey, maybe we should try property management. And so we got one property, managed that for a couple of years. And I said, well, maybe we should make this a business. That was another bright idea. And (laughs) so three years later, all organically, zero, 24 units went to 1,475 units with all these employees. And we looked at each other and we said, how the hell did this happen? On top of being real estate investors, no kid yet, and running our loan companies, our mortgage companies. And so at that point, we looked at each other in 2017 and said, how are we going to have a family and work 80, 100 hour a week, seven day weeks? It's impossible. So we got lucky. We were able to sell that business to a startup. And then we kind of replaced that time with starting to do content, the podcast, all the other stuff, starting to put you know content out to educate people on all the stuff we learned. We feel like we got like a double master's in real estate because of all the management. We did a lot of rehabs, repositioning, you know, the Burr models for clients, help people build portfolios while we were building our own. And then basically, you know, here we are today, we're probably about $3 billion in loans. So we're hyper-focused on the loan business, helping our clients on content and just continue to try to buy a building a year. And we focus primarily buying that in San Diego. Nice. Very nice. I always think it's great when a a couple shares a mutual passion, especially if it happens to fall into the career realm. So I think it's great. Very cool. All right. Great. Great. Well, given your expertise and your, you know, your experience, I think listeners today would be extremely interested to have some pretty candid conversations about the lending market right now and, you know, where we are in the economy. So first of all, what are you seeing when it comes to borrow sentiment? I can go first. My clients are primarily looking at buying apartments. I would say that's probably 85% of my business, but I do some other stuff too. Right now I'm looking at a lot more hospitality than I ever did which is kind of an interesting shift. I think because the vacation rental market has just gone absolutely bonkers and a lot of places are now starting to implement the laws and the rules. So there's like some risk there, some serious risk. 
on top of rates going, you know, skyrocketing and all that kind of stuff. But what I would say is that the majority of my clients who are real estate investors are kind of just like, you know what, I'm going to pump the brakes. I'm going to enjoy my family right now. We'll see how things look after Q1 because I would say it's it's definitely we're in the middle of the shift now. But for the last few months, I've been saying there's a disconnect between buyers and sellers, right? So like sellers still think that their property's worth all this money at like a four cap. And then buyers are like, hey, wait a second, at a six and a quarter rate, this doesn't really make any sense unless there's like a deal with huge upside. So that's what I've been seeing. But I'm starting to see now that cap rates are starting to increase a little bit. I think we still have ways to go, but sellers are definitely getting a little bit more realistic about the market. I think it's like the panic is setting in for some people or the fact that like they thought they could just hold off and wait. They're like, okay, I really got to get rid of this thing now. And they're starting to get more realistic with their pricing which is great for us investors. So, Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing the same thing as well. We just recently got two deals under contract, you know, that we'll be closing on before the end of the year. And I agree with you exactly. That's exactly what we're seeing. It's sellers that initially were thinking that they would write it out a little bit longer and then realized very quickly they better move now because now is probably as good as it's going to get for a while unless they're prepared to really hold. So yeah. yeah, we're seeing the same thing as well. Kenny, what about you? What's your perspective on this? So residential is interesting because commercial was lagging with the rates. And, you know, like I always tell everybody, we're coming to the end of the year. And this time last year, I do a market analysis month over month and do a webinar. And basically, if you went back this time of year and asked anybody, and I'm probably taking 99.99% of people, what do you think the rates will be in 2022? Maybe 4 4% by the end of the year. Well, guess what, guys? We beat 4% by a little bit. So everybody was completely off. So I think this rate increase completely blindsided, I think, everybody. I don't even think the feds maybe thought they would have to get this far because inflation's not coming down. So what does that really mean for a buyer? I think buyers are getting past the confusion part because three months ago, the confusion was, man, I missed out on the 3% rate and these prices are still high and it doesn't make sense. Now you're seeing prices come down Yes, there is the interest rates are in the sixes now. There are these two, three, one buy downs to help you get more of a runway for that refi opportunity in the future. But what I'm seeing is I'm taking, you know, homes, for example, that sold beginning of the year with an interest rate of three and a half. And we're taking the same neighborhood on the same block in a different home that sold today. Obviously, the price is different because that person that probably bought it this time last year, beginning of this year, they overpaid, right? So if the house is listed for one one, they paid one two. The house is listed for one one now, might have sold for nine fifty, right? And that's what we're kind of seeing is so the person that's paying the six and a half percent rate or lower, they're actually not as bad off as the three percent. And now it's just educating the clients. So the buyer sentiment is went from this is crazy market to I'm completely confused. Now the rates are high to all of a sudden they're starting to see old deals close. So they're able to swallow and absorb that information and go, okay, I'm seeing data. I'm seeing, you know, I can analyze it and it's making sense or not. So I think for buyers that are willing to jump in and buy now, they can get a deal. I kind of, you know, a couple of things is sellers did want the price of yesterday and buyers want the price of tomorrow. And I think with residential, that gap is closed. Commercial, like Crystal said, still wide. And then I told people, you know, unfortunately, now is the time to write an insulting offer because you're kind of writing an offer where you think it's going to go. And so that's what's happening. People are getting deals and they're happening. It's just, I think, come beginning next year, if there's a pivot and stuff, rates might come down a little bit. And buyers, I think the first time home buyer is really going to be in the market and, you know, they're going to pick up some deals. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that even though there's a lot of challenging conditions, those challenges are actually creating opportunities. And I think it's a matter of shifting your perspective to recognize those opportunities. I also think candidly, in my opinion, you know, which doesn't necessarily represent Blue Lake Capital, but in my opinion, I think we got spoiled. You know, I think we actually got spoiled over the last several years. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I think one misconception, in my opinion, is coming from the media. You know, the idea that the sky is falling and everything is about to burst and, you know, the economy is going to tank completely. I just, that's a lot of fear and, you know, kind of a lot of drama, if you will, coming through kind of from the media's perspective, in my opinion. And then in addition to that, some people have the sense that deals aren't getting done, which couldn't be further from the truth. Deals are still getting done. Business is still moving forward. There's still a tremendous amount of capital out there, and there's still a lot of opportunity out there. Those kind of are my thoughts about some of the misconceptions that I'm seeing. What are you seeing that you think are also some misconceptions, or do you want to dig into some of those a little bit further? I think you kind of hit it right on the nose about people think the sky is falling. And quite frankly, I've had a lot of real estate investors who are doing the same. And so what I found has been the most helpful for them is calling other investors who've been in the market a lot longer than them, who've ridden through these cycles two, three, four times before to just help talk them off the ledge, like from, you know, panic selling everything and (laughs) hoarding their cash, which couldn't be like a worse idea. So I agree with you that that's kind of what I'm seeing in the market right now. I am seeing that deals are still getting done. Now, are they more difficult? Yeah. Like if you talk to the brokers, yes, they're having more difficult conversations with sellers. Buyers are coming back for retrades. Buyers are not getting their rates locked. So they're having to come back and retrade late in the game. So it's definitely more difficult to get a deal done today, but there's still deals out there. Like you said, we've been really spoiled over the last few years. We've had record low rates. When I got in this business in 2003, six or six and a half was a fabulous rate. So people act like the rates are so high. And I'm like, yeah, compared to 3%, but not historically. Historically, this is fine. That said, cap rates were also around six. And I think they're going to get closer to that now. And then it'll be a more fair market. I tell people all the time, don't pay attention to the rate as much. Just look at your numbers. Like the cool thing about real estate is it's a numbers game. Like there's no guessing here. Like you can run your numbers. If it fits within your model, buy the deal. (laughs) You know, there's there's other things, of course, that make it a little bit more complex, but it's a numbers game. So it's a very easy to understand if a deal is worth buying today or in any market. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Kenny, your thoughts? You know, it's like what Crystal said is, you know, and a lot of people are talking about that are like, I listen to a lot of macro people or I listen to like everybody or VCs or Wall Street or macro. I like to hear what's going on everywhere because it does help you to realize that we were all spoiled by low rates. Then the rates went even lower. But the problem is we keep comparing this time today to when rates were 2%, 3%, and we were locked up and came out and there's all this demand. And so, of course, like we're going through this time, it's a pivot, a reset, whatever it's going to call, but it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And yeah, some people will probably get hurt. Some people are going to lose jobs. Some people might lose their business. I get it. Obviously, like the crypto thing's blowing up. So we're seeing a lot of things leak out and obviously the media loves this time because they can sell stories and get viewers on their, you know, whether it's on their TV show or on their website. But at the end of the day, this does present opportunities. And I tell people like, but we're comparing things like, oh my gosh, financing's down this. I'm like, yeah, but we just went through an all-time boom, all-time low rate. And so we have to understand like the market just pivoting. And like Crystal said is it's back to the fundamentals. There was no fundamentals when rates were 2%. And that guy says, I'm going to go overpay a house by a half a million dollars. To me, that was pure emotion. 
So I think when we're talking just logically and educating homeowners here, it's like, I know you want to buy this home. Like I told people, yeah, you might pay 3%. What do you think is going to happen? Like the market could correct, but are you staying here for 10 years? Or are you staying here for two years? Because two years is different than 10 years. So I think it's just like the common person is just confused because they're looking at everything doom and gloom and I'm going to wait. But I think really what's going to happen here is I think retail is going to have a struggle here with Christmas. The consumer is pulling back. That's because everything's so expensive and they're just trying to afford rent and housing and groceries and gas and electricity. And then, you know, the Fed at some point is going to pivot. I think the first pivot is going to be 50 basis points. The second pivot could be like a 25. And the next pivot's like, I'm going to go flat. And the pivot after that is maybe we're going to have to start decreasing rates. But that doesn't really have to do anything with a 10-year treasury that could drop long-term rates. So I think once you see the pivot, we saw it this last week where inflation came down, rates came down in our industry, it was a pretty significant drop. And I just use a scenario like somebody's buying an entry home here in San Diego, 770,000, 10% down. And they're a $700,000 loan. I was talking about this. If the interest rate was at 7% and it goes to 5%, it's almost a thousand dollars a month difference. So to an entry level person, that is huge. So I think it goes back to Crystal said is know your numbers, know your budget, and those prices are going to come down. The rates are going to come down. People are doing some creative stuff with financing where it's like you still have to qualify it to six and a half, but they're doing the two, three, one buy down to give you more of a runway. So when rates come down, you can refi out. And I think you're going to find yourself a good opportunity. And then I think certain parts of the country are going to do better than others, just like always. And some places got overheated, overinflated, just be, I think, people moving from one place to the other. So I'm just a person that studies data and watches everything, you know, week over week, month over month. And I just, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. Awesome. Awesome. I definitely appreciate the insight on that. And it's actually a really good segue to kind of the next portion of the interview that I wanted to get into, which is both kind of a combination of process and strategy. And Normally, I talk about the process first and then bring the strategy up second, but I think for this conversation, it'll make sense to kind of bring them together. So, you know, one of the questions I have for you guys is how has the process changed for borrowers and what strategies are you seeing people take in order to make the financing work, to make the deal work? It's interesting because I feel like Kenny has a lot more strategy on his on his <laughs> yeah. side with residential. Probably, um, yeah. I would say like for me, I see a lot of syndicators. And so the name of that game is just put as little down as you possibly can. So that's shifted. Like I think they're having to just get more realistic on that front and raise more capital. But I am seeing more assumable financing, which only really works either if you have a large down payment or if the seller recently bought the property and they're kind of maxed out on their loan, it kind of like works out well if they have a nice low rate. So I'm seeing a lot more assumable financing being marketed. The funny part is about the price reductions. I've been laughing about this the last couple of weeks. Nobody's saying price reduction anymore. They're saying new price. So that's interesting. <laughs> like that's That's a nice way to fluff it up. But I think we're going to start seeing more seller financing, more subject to, which lenders hate. But, you know, I think we're going to start seeing more of those kind of creative financing deals just to make deals happen in the interim. And this is really like the time where those like super creative entrepreneurial people are just going to get in there and make it happen no matter what. Like they're out there calling sellers, negotiating for seller carries or taking things subject to like, this is the time where you get creative to still make the deals happen because they are there. You have to work them a little more, but they're there. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Kenny, what about your perspective? Yeah. So with residential, it's interesting. And the reason why I say that is because 
I think you really want to make sure you're working with the right people. This is where experience really helps because they've been through challenging times. They're just not like, oh my gosh, I've only known no low rates or I don't know how to negotiate this. So what's changed for us is it went from sellers getting their way is you got to move contingencies. You got to walk on water. You got to send their family to Disneyland just to get your offer accepted. <laughs> right. And then you got to close by tomorrow and then they won't give you any concessions. Now I went from the buyer saying, wait a minute, I want a price reduction. You've got to give me credit towards the closing costs because rates are so high. Oh, by the way, you're going to fix this and fix that. So really when you go into an offer, for example, if you're going to do a two, one buy down or three, one buy down, and what that really means, just simple is we're basically it's like if you have a 6% and you do a 2-1, the first year would be at 4%, the second year is at 5%, and you end up at 6 And the reason why these are coming, these always been around, but they're coming back is to give you more runway to possibly refine the future. But the seller has to, you're basically paying the interest difference from that rate for those years, but the seller has to pay for it. So what we do now is we're getting with agents and we're like, look, we got to know their closing costs and everything. Because when you present your offer, you need to go in with that, with the offer. So you know, oh, my credit's got to be 20 grand. They come back lower. You're like, well, then I can't get this deal done. So your offer has to be not just let's wing it. It's you got to know what you're presenting to make sure it's accurate numbers so you can close the deals. And I was telling agents, if your seller just to identify that is a problem in the market, and this is like what most buyers are doing, I'd say like 70 80% of our deals now that are owner-occupied are doing this. I tell sellers, put it on your listing that you're willing to pay for the 2-1 buy-down or credit and just get it all. Just remove that item of a negotiation that's already done. I understand the market. I understand the need. So that's really the shift is educating buyers, educating sellers and everybody and making sure that we're all on the same page. And when you're not, deals just aren't getting done. Interesting. Interesting. And very good advice. I think it really does come down to now is a time for a lot of financial savviness, whether we're looking at commercial or residential. And I think it's also one of the more important reasons why we're even doing something like this today, having a podcast, because, you know, those collaborations, I think, are very powerful, you know, as we figure out kind of how to navigate, you know, towards keeping business going for everybody all the way around, right? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, good. For a little bit of kind of a rabbit trail here from what I earlier, you know, spoke about with the two of you being a married couple you know, in a similar industry. I'm curious what advice you would give for other real estate investors and finance and real estate professionals that are married, you know, and trying to kind of do all of this together. How do you keep the balance, the spark? How do you let work not swallow everything alive? What's your advice? Yeah, well, that word balance is sort of funny because I feel like we never have balance. So I think <laughs> at some point you just have to like swallow that and accept it for what it is. But in terms of work, I think working together, I that was always my dream is to like have a partner, not just a husband, but like a true partner in life and business, all of it. So I think the biggest thing for me is that we know, and believe me, it's not always like pretty. So let's get that out of the way. But I think we know what we're good at, right? So when you work together at first, yes, there are like arguments, there are irritations, there are things that happen. But if you keep at it, and you both have like the same common goal of wanting to work together and build something together, you soon learn like, what are my strengths? And what are his strengths? So he lets me run with it. And I take full responsibility for the things that I do. And he takes full responsibility for the things that he does. So we're not like in each other's way. I think if it was a situation where he was like my boss or vice versa, that would not work at all. So like we both have to own our roles within our business. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then of course, when we go home, that was like the biggest struggle, right? Like when you first have kids, you're like, 
my, my mind's blown. Like all of a sudden I need to like shut it off at this certain time when I walk in the door. But honestly, it's been so good because I feel like we as humans just tend to like get stressed out and we want to talk about these things and we want to keep it going all night. And then you realize when you have kids, I can't do that anymore. I I just need to cut it. And now I'm like in mom mode. And I realized that did not change my life for the worse. Like I was not helping myself by like talking about these things all night and talking about work all night that it's actually helped me to realize like, okay, I can actually be a little bit lighter and have fun. And it's not going to like kill me. You know, in fact, it was probably what I should have been doing this whole time. So that, that would be my advice. But yeah, we never have balance. Like we're always trying to juggle it and you just schedule, schedule, schedule. Like my whole life is planned now. Our life is <laughs> planned and scheduled and you just make it happen. Good advice. Very good advice. Kenny, what do you think about from the male perspective here? It's interesting because we get this question a lot because we are together all the time, literally. And we've been together all the time for like 15 years. I mean, we're together, we travel together. So you're like, how in the world I'd kill my wife? And like Crystal said, I think we figured out what we're good at and not good at. And we just in or what somebody really wants to tackle or not. And we just divide and conquer. And like she said, I like what she said, you got to own your role and take care of it. So if she says, I'm going to do it and she doesn't, and I get irritated, she's going to expect it and vice versa. But I think what we did too, from the beginning is we realized we're going to work together, be together. And we're like, how are we going to make this work? You know, we did do counseling. We did marriage counseling because we wanted to learn to come together not do this stuff. So it doesn't mean like we're not having these things every once in a while, but when we have these things, it's quick. It's we get it over with and we move on. There's no holding grudges or this for a while. It's just not going to work. So if you are going to work with a significant other, you know, you're fighting over who's cleaning the bathroom and now you're going to go rehab a 10 unit building. You probably should figure out how to, who's going to clean the bathroom and be able to get through that before rehabbing a 10 unit building. And I think <laughs> it's just learning how to communicate with each other and respecting one who does what. And that's the first thing. And the second thing with real estate, it's like we always say is real estate doesn't sleep. It is all the time. And if you're not, if you're not understanding that, we understand that. So when we travel and this and that, we're able to be flexible and do things. And we obviously have team and support here, which is helpful, but we're used to that. So some people get into real estate. Can you believe somebody called, text me on Christmas day? We're like, yeah, that's just kind of how it goes. It's like, <laughs> it is what it is. We don't get all concerned or butthurt about it. It is what it is. So I think understanding too, when you get into real estate, you're buying investment properties or things like that, like what to expect and understanding. That's why courses or coaches or YouTubes or podcasts like this are great. So you have some level of expectation. And then finally, I would say is just when you go home, as like Crystal said, is it takes a while because we had kids turning it off was difficult. And, you know, I like to talk about work and I like to keep it going. So what I had to do is in my life is I like my time, me time to do my thing. So, you know, I'm going to shock you, but I get up between three and three forty five every morning. And I like wow. to do my things, whether it's read, podcast, work on things, work out. So I'm a bit of a, of a lunatic. I get it. But <laughs> here's what I found that people that are really successful around me that are able to give themselves an hour or two a day to do what they want to do, whether it's yoga, meditate, I, whatever it is you want to do, read, get better at life. They're just entering the day. They're way more successful, way more peace of mind. If you want to call it balance, we like Crystal said, there's really not balance, but it's helping you through the day when you're grinding and hustling. So for me, I realize I'm much better person, husband, dad, when I get to do this and it helps the family out. So I would think as individuals figure out 
what you can do for yourself that's going to help you get through the day, the months, the years that's impacting your life to making you better for the family or a better partner or dad or father. So excellent, excellent advice. I need my time. So I completely relate to what you're saying very much. You probably don't wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. But if I really got put into a pinch, I might. I might. It's worth it to me. I get where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we move into the lightning round questions, are there any last thoughts or advice that you'd like to share with our listeners about, you know, just kind of where we are in the market, how to keep moving forward, you know, where the economy is going, any little tidbit that you just feel is important to kind of, you know, make sure you get out there before we jump into the lightning round questions. Yeah, I'll go first. I think it's one of the things Kenny's honestly been harping on for the last, I mean, all year really is like during these times of slowdown, a lot of people just get paralyzed. They freeze and they stop working on stuff. They think like, okay, the economy is just getting really bad. And now I'm just going to go like, relax. I have never had a more difficult time getting a hold of bankers, people like people are just checked out. And for us, we're like, you know what? These are the times where you really like start focusing on all the things you were too busy to focus on that were on your list for your business. So there's so many things that we could all be doing. You know, some people haven't gotten on social media. Now's your time to start recording videos and filming content and putting yourself out there, networking groups, anything, building your business, building an email list, you know, building out the whole CRM like all these little things that you could be doing, but also like keeping an eye on the market too. Like for me, I think one of the, the things that has kept us in the market is that we're always underwriting deals. I mean, I can underwrite a deal in like 10 minutes now, right? And people are like, mm -hmm. how do you do that? I'm like, well, I've done it every day for almost 20 years. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what happens. So, I mean, that is a point though. You get really good at doing things like it's like second nature to you. So you got to keep it going during this time. Don't get rusty. Don't fall off because there's a lot of people like us out there too, that are staying on top of our game and we're going to keep going and we're going to keep, keep pushing the needle. And so when business comes back, business is going to boom for the people who really kept on it. The people who didn't just like give up or freeze during this time. So I think that's the most important thing to say for anybody right now. Like, I know it's super easy. Like all your friends are doing it. Your family's doing it. The people you work with are doing it, but this is the time for you to stand out and set yourself apart. So you're set up for the next boom. Excellent advice. It's like the famous saying that success equals opportunity plus, plus preparation, right? Exactly. Yes. Definitely. Kenny, any last words? Yeah. So like to back on Crystal, I always give this analogy. You know, you ever go to a restaurant because we eat at restaurants early because I have to go to bed early, as you can imagine. <laughs> like, you know, so if you ever go to a restaurant at 4.30 or 5, because I worked in one and you ever notice you're like, there's nobody here, but the service isn't great. And where is everybody? Because they're kind of checked out. But what they're doing is they're eating their dinner, they're getting ready, they're setting up their station, you know, they're prepping food, and but they're really not engaged. And so you're seeing that now. But when the restaurant gets busy, you're like, wow, my server just turned it on because the momentum's there, they're in the groove, they're they're moving and grooving, right? And so that's what's happening right now is you got to be flexible because things are gonna things could change. You got to change, you got to be willing to pivot, right? That's one thing. But the other thing is, is this is a big land grab. I don't care if you're a real estate agent, if you're in the lending business, if you're a real estate investor, you're going to see people make a lot of moves, pick up more property, pick up more clients, more referrals, more relationships. So that's why I tell Crystal, when you go in a restaurant and she, she always pointed out to her, I said, you notice it's slow and the momentum changed. She goes, yeah. I said, so a lot of people you're seeing just completely unplugged, completely, you know, not engaged. And it's really just like, wow, they just don't realize this is the time to really get focused. And like Crystal said, all those things that you didn't want to do or didn't have time to do, 
Like go write a list. Like what are the 10 things you could be doing as an investor in your business to make it better? We'll go work on them. What are the 10 things that you really don't want to do, you know, or that you wanted to do? Go write the list and knock them out. And then if you're trying to get more business or more relationships, we'll go say, hey, I did these things and go teach other people, right? And it's just simple things like that that we're all forgetting about. And I get it. Like I, I told everybody in 2020, when we got locked down and Crystal can say this and Monty here too. I said, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So a lot of people sprinted the last 2020 and 2021. They're tired. They got burned out. But this is what I tell them. Like, this is, this is going to be a long haul. So right now I feel like we're running in the Rockies. It's cold. It's miserable. We're going uphill, but this is where the separation season is. We're going to see a lot of people fall apart. It's kind of not stay engaged, not focused. And like Crystal said, if you really want to stay engaged, like turn off the Netflix, get reading, get around the right people in the right rooms, the right mindsets, the right attitude. You got to cut the negative people out and, you know, make sure you're engaged of what's going on in the world. So when you make moves, you know, you know what's going on. So that's kind of like what we're focusing on and we're doing. Excellent. Excellent advice. You know, I think it's such a great reminder to make sure that you remember it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to it. And it's just as true today as it is in any other area of our lives. You know, we can't let external factors dictate our passions. And I think, you know, now more than ever is a time to rekindle your passion and hold even tighter to it because it is a little choppy, you know? So great advice. Thank you guys so much. All right, well, let's jump into the lightning round questions. So I don't know how you guys are going to have much time to answer this, but from where you are now, what do you actually still have that's a hobby? My hobby? Oh, geez. I feel like real estate's a hobby, but I guess, um, (laughs) yeah, it's like, that's why we do it all day and all night. But outside of that, I just, my me time is like the gym. So I love to like be healthy. (laughs) So... For me, for us, it's like, we like to travel, hang out with our girls, but outside of that surfing or tennis or working out, fitness is a big thing. And honestly, just for us too, we really like to work on ourselves and make ourselves better. So a lot of self-improvement, things like that. So, but for me, it's probably surfing and kind of tennis or working out, just being really active. And we live in San Diego, so it's really easy to do here. Nice, nice. Great advice. Definitely important for the mind, keeping busy. I agree. Physical is very important. All right. Now, what is something most people don't know about you? And you can either share this as maybe a little couple fun fact or, you know, individually, whichever you like. I'll go first because I always say this. I'm six, seven. So, wow. Yeah. Because it's like, because when people maybe like, I didn't know you're that tall. I was like, sorry, I didn't post it on, you know, (laughs) six, seven is probably the most fascinating thing for people. I would say, that I, I grew up on a ranch because I tell if people ask me, I am originally from San Diego, but I grew up on an 80 acre ranch in Oklahoma with like horses and cows and goats and pigs and all of it. So I I shoveled a lot of poop. <laughs> Keeps you humble and one with the earth. I like it. Nice. All right. What about a book? What is a book that you are currently reading or that you would just highly suggest someone needs to include in their library? Not a huge reader. Neither of us are. I take more courses. Like I definitely invest in my like education a lot through like courses and coaching and things. But I would say that my all-time favorite book that I read again and again is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I know it's a little cliche, but it's so easy to read and it's just entertaining. And it's just like a really good reminder about investing in in assets that pay you. So... I don't read much, but I actually just finished a book. It's a $100 million offer by Alex Tremosi. I would highly recommend it. It's like, I think it's almost free, but it's really, it was a really amazing book. Um, if you don't know who Alex Ramosi is, definitely look him up, but Power Couple, 
him and his wife. But yeah, that's what I was just finished. So. Awesome. Okay, great. Noted. Now, uh, something that we really firmly believe in is that all of this is about more than money, right? Uh, we, money cannot buy you happiness. And one of the things that we try to focus on here is really, really honing in on building an extraordinary life. So what would your advice be for building an extraordinary life? Jeez, I think one of the quotes I like, and it's not super sexy is like pay the price now. So you don't, so you can pay any price later. And it is sort of correlated to money, but it's really about freedom. I think for most of us, like we want freedom. So, you know, for me, every, I, I try to focus my activities on things that are going to give me that freedom. And for me, that's investing in cash flowing assets that appreciate over time. So that is my biggest focus. I think people forget about that. Like people are mostly, we're all trained to be employees when we grow up, right? So nobody talks about investing and how money works and things. But if you want freedom in your life, if you want legacy for your family and your kids, something to pass down, all of those things, like assets are what gives that to you. So just shifting your priorities to buying assets more than buying liabilities or things that are going to depreciate in value was a huge mind shift that I think a lot of people have a hard time getting around, but that would be my biggest piece of advice. Excellent. Excellent. Kenny? Yeah. So one of the questions, the last question we asked on our podcast to everybody is what is your definition of generational wealth? And what's interesting about that question is somebody might answer it. Oh, you know, leaving all this money or properties to my kids. But the answers we get are not even close to that. Most of the time it's, it's, you know, leaving a legacy to my kids or making sure I've taught them this. So it's kind of funny. I've gotten all these answers. And when you combine them all together, I think people are saying is, is like, you know, leaving this earth is if you have kids or family or this is just leaving it better than when you entered. So I think that has to do with starts with yourself of being the best person you can be trying to teach our kids to be the best human beings they can be. And like Crystal said, is if you're just sitting here focusing on the money all the time, that's really at the end of the day, how many people do we know that have a lot of money that are really miserable? There is a lot. And so we like to surround ourselves people that have maybe whether they have a lot of money or not, but they're just really, you know, happy in their lives with their family and their friends. And they seem to have same kind of a well-balanced life or well-rounded life. And so I think like it was cool because the definition we get for generational wealth are just so different. But I learned from people like, wow, it's really they think completely different about it. And a lot of it was really more towards leaving this information and making sure my kids are a certain way rather than giving them all this money. Yeah, excellent. Impact, impact. Wonderful. All right, great. Well, guys, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? So we're on Instagram. I'm Crystal Rose Simpson, Kenny B. Simpson, or our website is getinthecashflowgame.com. And that takes you to, you know, Pacific Shore Capital or C2 or wherever. It, it, everything is under the getinthecashflowgame.com website. All right, perfect. Well, I'll make sure that we include those in our show notes. And guys, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. For those of you that tuned in today, we appreciate you. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review us and let us know more of what you'd hear, like to hear of. And in the meantime, continue to move forward to be bold and to be strong. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.